0: You're listening to the Surf Simply Podcast, bringing you news and opinion about surf culture, characters, coaching and competition from the team at the Surf Simply Coaching Resort. Find us on facebook.com surfing or at surfsimply.com.
1: Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to episode 28 of the Surf Simply Podcast. We're recording on Wednesday the 23rd of March. My name is Harry Knight and with me today is Asher King. Hello guys. And Jesse Carnes.
2: Hello everyone.
1: No Rue this week. He's uh, a little ill, unfortunately, so he's been locked up in his bedroom and isn't allowed to come out till he's feeling better. But uh, we just got back from our little holiday. Ashley, you went back to the States? Yep, been,
3: went back to the States. I've surfed a, uh, a whopping two times since uh, our last record. I, uh, <laughs> well, I went on a snowboarding trip last week, and right when I got back to Nassara, I caught the stomach bug of all stomach bugs. So I've been pretty sidelined. But yeah, really happy to be back.
1: Good.
2: Good. I've lost Excellent. a
3: little weight and not the good kind. And uh, Jesse, you had a good holiday?
2: Yes, I uh, got to travel to Bocas del Toro, which was very fun. I did the rock star trip. So a lot of people in Costa Rica will drive to Bocas del Toro, mm-hmm. but it's about like a 12-hour drive. Yeah. So I took Nature Air all the way there, and a it was beautiful. A local flight. Yeah, uh, Nature Air is like a little puddle jumper airplane that flies all around uh, Costa Rica as well as Nicaragua and to Panama. So I got to go. It took two hours to get there. Delightful. Yes. And I got shoulder high waves and dollar beers and boat rides to the islands. It was really fun. It's a good experience. It's a a pretty pretty place, place, isn't it? It's beautiful. Yeah. A few Surf Simply guests recommended me to go surf this wave called Punch. Mm-hmm. And it was very punchy. It was yeah. fun. <laughs> not, very,
3: uh, not very creatively named. No. The
2: punchy beach break. <laughs> it was very fun. I recommend anyone who does go to Boca del to check it out and check out that wave especially. It was very, very fun.
1: Yeah, I keep meaning to get down there. I've never I've never made it. I've always had something going on the, 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 for the listeners. We, all of us, normally have a, a week off somewhere around the end of February, start of March every year and that's that's a pretty it's as reliable as it gets for caribbean surf for uh, going down the box del toro a set of islands on the the panamanian caribbean coast and uh yeah i've never made it down but everyone that goes seems to have a lot of fun
2: yeah it's really fun it's a good like caribbean island mix it's very yeah, good very
1: nice
3: harry uh how did you spend your vacation yeah i had a lot of fun i went and learned how to fly um powered paragliders
2: that just is so cool. Pretty cool. That
3: just is a very hairy activity. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Harry, you're already like my idol and you just went up like two more notches in my book. <laughs> yeah,
1: it was pretty cool. So I'm, I'm trying to work out at the moment whether I, can, uh, whether I can afford to buy one or not and fly it around here. But uh, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to sending you on some reconnaissance surf checks around yeah, could the be point, quite cool. local points. I have to say I'm a little, I'm a little nervous because as soon as you start looking up like videos and information on... Powered paragliders. Power all that you find on YouTube is people crashing them.
2: Oh my god!
1: <laughs> Quite often into the water. No. So I'm, well, a li- I'm a little nervous about the idea of sort of getting one and then flying out, sort of around the points and the headlands, which would be really cool. Because I can't really find that much information on how often people yeah. end up crashing. I think, from from my understanding of what I've looked into, it's pretty safe.
2: Where did Harry but, go? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> we better check. I haven't
1: seen him for a couple of days. <laughs> rolling into the news then there's not a huge amount happened obviously outside of the uh snapper rocks contest which we'll come to a little later but uh, anything caught you guys eyes in the news over the week
2: it's the 25th anniversary and or birthday of the surfer's journal
1: it is indeed yes yes
2: i was astonished to find out that the surfer's journal is older than asher well, they are aren't they
3: <laughs> <laughs> the surfer's journal's got me beat.
2: 25 years old um I thought it was cool. I was kind of reading up on it and it started in 1991 and they are super low key and they've maintained this like low key art to it. And they only have six sponsors still. And they really aren't trying to go any more above or below. They're just trying to keep that original Surfer's Journal stereotype, I guess.
3: Surfer's Journal is the only print publication that I still subscribe to. There we go. I used to have all of them. I used to have Surfer, Surfing, Trans World Surf and Surfer's Journal. And Surfer's Journal is, uh, is my last surviving subscription. I actually got it from my dad. Oh. Uh, for father's day but i just take the magazine every time i'm home <laughs> so, <laughs> so when you really say nice you gift. have a subscription <laughs> yeah it's a
1: two-for-one special <laughs> <laughs> um yeah the Surfers journal is an interesting one isn't it especially now since the Surfers path folded a few years ago like it's kind of left a bit of a there's a quite a big gap between surfer and surfing which really their target audience is 14, 15-year-old kids, and Surfer's Journal, which is really long-form journalism, you know, they want a couple of thousand words rather than a couple of hundred words mm-hmm. for, for an article, so it's it's quite a big gap that's been left in that, and I know, I know Surfer were talking about trying to, trying to move a little bit more into that hole, yeah. but I haven't seen much of it in their recent
3: it almost seems that surfer and surfing are, are kind of on—they're like really online-focused now. They pump out a ton of online content. Uh, they're pretty heavy on Instagram, like yeah. Facebook. But Surfers Journal is pretty much just straight stuck to their guns.
1: You can—I think—am I right in saying you, you, if you subscribe, you can get the access pretty much to the entire back catalog online? Not they, just pretty much the access—you can read any of them. That they've scanned all the magazines. In, yeah, which is actually for any listeners that are interested in surfing history and surfing culture, which I'm guessing. Some of you guys are given that you're giving up an hour of your day to listen to us. Listen to us. Yeah, <laughs> uh, the Surface Journal is a great resource because yeah, if you, if you subscribe, you get these these couple of magazines a year, which is nice to flick through. But the the big thing is just the access to that online I back catalogue.
2: I enjoy their photography. Like their their photos are amazing.
1: Well, the, I I know Matt Arnie who does a lot of the uh, stuff for the Surf Simply magazine online. He was saying that the Surface Journal are very exclusive if they're because when me and him shot a load of the stuff with the old wooden surfboard a couple of years ago he couldn't let those photos go anywhere because if they appeared anywhere else even just on an instagram feed then surfers journal wouldn't take them and that that was that was our target was to try and get them in there and in the end it didn't work out they didn't take the article but um a couple of wsl things the wsl banquet took place just after we recorded last time which is where the the world champions actually received their their cups it's a pretty tame event by comparison to the uh,
3: the John, John
2: Florence wore a tuxedo this time. <laughs> yes, nice to see.
1: Uh, Adriano
3: D'Souza, I read. it. I didn't actually catch it live, but I I read his kind of acceptance speech for mm-hmm. the world title, and it was a uh, it was a tearjerker. Yeah, it was a pretty powerful speech. I I didn't know that he he's never been on the cover of any nope. international surf publication. Oh, nope. I didn't know that. And he's either. never had you know those uh like the the big window spreads that they put in surf shops. Yeah. I mean, you could, it seems like everybody's, you know, they, even the local pros are on the window of the surf shop sometime. And he said he's never been the full window ad on yeah. the surf shop,
1: ever. Well, he still doesn't really have a headline sponsor, does he? His, yeah. Um, it's um like HD? Hawaii Designs or something like that. It's a, a Brazilian company, I think. But yeah. Uh, and then the other one that caught my eye was do you guys see what Varial Foam? have decided to do the contest for yeah they, the- so uh, varial foams are a kind of interesting surfboard technology it's a, an aerospace foam that has a much better consistency and, and quality than the uh, eps or the polyurethane that's uh, used at the moment mm-hmm. but as with anything the the surf industry is pretty conservative and trying to bring some new technology and is always really really hard unless you can get you know, high-profile surfers riding the equipment. Unless Stu Kennedy makes the semis on it. Yeah, unless Stu Kennedy gets making the semifinals on it. Um, What Varial Foam have done is they've put up up a $75,000 prize purse that's going to go towards the surfer and the shaper that wins WCT tour event using Varial Foam. And after that was announced, I think quite a lot of guys on the world tour went and had at least one or two boards shaped in Varial Foam.
2: This is such a great idea. Like, I know we're going to talk about contests and stuff later, but mm. you can have perfect technique, but when it, you know, when it comes down to it, like a good board can go a long way. So I like this idea.
3: I have a question. So it's like kind, of, kind of a stepped prize money. So it's like if yeah. you make the quarters, you get $5,000. If, if you make the semis, you get $10,000. and You get uh, 20000 if you win the event. Wait, yeah. What if I, if I win the event and no one's ever made a quarters on it, do I get all three prize purses? That's an interesting thought.
1: I don't know. You I mean, just clean up. Yeah, just clean all the way up. It's. I think it's a really clever idea for bringing. You know, you think how long we had EPS epoxy boards, and nobody wanted anything to do with them. And then slowly, slowly, you saw guys and Kelly Slater was one of the first ones that used EPS and epoxy in contests, and suddenly people accepted that it was a a viable technology people wanted to ride eps epoxy boards and i think for varial to go down this route and just really like try to push riders to do it particularly you know they don't really have a a surf team as such Mm -hmm. you know they're they're a technology provider rather than a a shape uh, a shaping company
2: it looks like you can sort of join as a free surfer too
1: two minute clip yeah it says if you
2: sort of enter in a two minute video segment filmed on one of the boards that that could be part of the purse
1: yeah i'm not sure how they're judging that one how they're uh, how they're going to award the the prize for the the video clip because presumably there's gonna be quite a few people putting in uh, putting in entries with a a five thousand dollar prize so Toledo made the semis. Was he on a varial foam board? Quite. P- I don't know if he was on varial foam, but yeah, he's one of the... He's one Itali- of the guys that rides him. Yeah, Italo Ferreira, uh, Philippe Toledo, Alejo Menez, Davy Cathels, they're all on the boards. Malay Manuel, Tatiana Weston-Webb, they're all on the boards. So. I know,
3: Italo rides them exclusively.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Oh, so that's interesting. I wonder I wonder whether Philippe picked up some, yeah, uh, some maybe on that.
2: And Tatiana Weston-Webb made it to quarterfinals.
1: Uh-huh. Oh, Verial might be running out of money here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> might have been a bit too Looks successful. Looks like they work. Uh, speaking of video
3: contest, winter is done. Yes, so, uh, the Big Wave Awards.
1: Yeah, Big Wave Awards. So, yeah, the, the Big Wave Awards are next month, I think, but the nominations are now all up on the WSL site. With some pretty wild entries.
2: Not are does, crazy entries. So. How does
1: the, the WSL Big Wave Awards work? Is it? it it's not the
3: Big Wave World Tour. And no, it's, it's not the it's XXL. What, yes, it is.
1: Ah, it's what used to be called the XXL awards, and they bought the rights to it from Billabong and brought it in under the WSL umbrella. So it's exactly the the XXL awards. It's a pretty big umbrella. It is now WSL. The, the, Paul Speaker is wielding. It's uh, it's sort of a beach a beach umbrella. It's almost yeah. a gazebo of an umbrella. <laughs> <laughs> What do you think you'd
3: be more happy with? uh, Getting, being Big Wave World Tour champ where you have to compete or just getting the XXL?
1: I feel like within the surf world, the XXL carries maybe a little more weight. Ignoring the Jaws event this year, in general, the Big Wave World Tour does take place in big waves, but it's probably not on the best day. Yeah. Or on the most ridiculous waves. You know, so a lot of those XXL awards things uh, out at Shipston's and uh, that that horrible wave the right out in uh, Western Australia just horrible things Uh, horrible things but but amazing to see
2: I like the uh, idea of like the consistency so I'd have to say the other way like the person who wins who goes out in one day and and wins the whole sort of big wave contest I think that would be my idea of
1: the Greg Long very cool Uh, so the last just little thing on the news which um, actually came out just this morning was Owen Wright posted on uh, his Instagram just a little update as to where he's at with his uh, head injury. Man, it sounds pretty intense.
3: Man, yeah, for an injury that he sustained not even on the wave, he was duck diving.
1: Yeah, listeners, for those of you that that aren't up to speed on this, uh, Owen Wright was paddling out free surfing at Pipeline, duck dived under a set, and has said yeah has said retrospectively that probably he should have just let go of the board and bailed it but he just tried to hang on so he could carry on paddling out and got shaken around pretty badly ended up coming back in didn't really think anything was wrong went to sleep and then when he got woken up for lunch like they realized that something was wrong rushed him off to hospital and he's now I mean really struggling
3: he's had horrible amnesia he just
1: went for his first surf. Yeah, just went for his first surf on a foam-topped mini mal and couldn't stand up.
3: Man, that what a tear-jerking post! It was all talking about how you know how happy he was, and then how he compared it to what the other surfers in the lineup were doing and what he used to do, and how it just kind of sent him into a downward spiral. And then the mor- the moral of the story was uh, kind of while self improvement was was necessary and important, that kind of comparing himself to everyone else it was really detrimental to him
1: yeah i mean what fantastic that he's able to find that thought process within his head Mm -hmm. you know i I think for, for us as coaches we see it a lot you know people that used to surf and used to be pretty good and they've taken a you know 20 30 40 year break from surfing and they're coming back into it and they they're judging every performance by their best ever yeah it's funny you only remember your best waves, huh yeah or you know we've had a few people that have come to us when they're coming back from injury Mm -hmm. and trying to get back into the sport and again just their 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 arms and their legs just don't do quite what they used to do and people get pretty pretty bummed out about it so if 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 nothing else it's great to see that i think owen's able to take that positive attitude to getting better
2: yeah and i mean as the months go on i mean it did happen back in december it's crazy that like he's It's still affecting him. I think, I know we talked about this last podcast that I was here, but the Evan Geiselman case, he was back in the water like two weeks later. Mm -hmm. So not only we're talking about like our guests coming back, but this is his career. Like there must be a a bunch of emotional and physical ways on him right now. Feel bad for him.
1: Yeah, pretty tough. The real big story then. The first contest for both the men's and the women's pro tour at Snapper Rocks. What a strange event. It was, well, the men's event was very peculiar. Um, the the women's sort of played out a little bit more to, to script. The, the nice thing, I think this was the first time in a lot of years where every single heat took place at Snapper. They didn't have to go around to D-Bar once. That's Mm-mm. true, isn't it? They didn't have to use the backup venues. They were able to run at the main contest site the whole way through. But yeah, for, the, for those of you that haven't watched, uh, in the men's, uh, Matt Wilkinson, and Dino in the final but the the real big story was uh, Kelly Jordy Julian Mick Fanning all uh, the big names Gabriel Medina Adriano all being taken out in early rounds. Yeah, it was, it was like a fully reshuffled deck. Yeah. I, it, I
2: liked it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I it mean, was very cool to watch.
1: It was it was certainly interesting to watch but it it uh, well, it made a mess of my fantasy team. Wow.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think most fantasy teams for sure.
3: I, I think I'm in 49th place after taking out the season last year. had <laughs> a really rough
1: start, but I'm going to have to rise like the phoenix. going to have to pick it up. But yeah, so that was interesting. And then uh, to mirror you know, this, this slightly questionable performance from the, the guys that surf it so well, some of the, the rookies and the wildcards did fantastically. And, and Stu Kennedy did best of all, surfing all the way through to the semifinals.
3: Yeah, mm-hmm. that was definitely the story of the event was Stu Kennedy. Yeah. On that, uh, he
1: beat Slater on Slater's surfboard. Yes, so it's, uh, Kelly Slater and uh, Stu Kennedy both riding the new Kelly Slater-designed surfboards. Uh, Kelly, a terrible choice. Yeah, he was riding the, the the Weber. Yeah, the Banana, I think it's called. And it, it just looked horrible, and Stu Kennedy picked the board. I mean, I I don't know about you guys, like, looking at that quiver of three boards that Kelly designed, there's quite clearly a board for shoulder-to-head-high, mushy kind wave. of slightly soft, a few flat sections on the wave, which is what Snapper is. Mm-hmm. And he didn't pick that board. And he's been riding that one in all the
3: free-surfing clips.
1: He, yeah, uh, yeah he's, he's ridden the Sci-Fi, which is the, 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 the sort of smaller wave board, in all the free-surfing clips I've seen of him. Calider's- but did, he didn't win a single heat. Like, he lost his round one heat riding the board. It looked terrible. And then he went into round two, and you'd think, all right, the board didn't work in those conditions round two is in very similar conditions maybe i'll pick one of the other two designs like if if you've just launched a line of surfboards like you don't want to go out there and look terrible on them you want people to go and buy them and i mean from his perspective he must thank god for Stu kennedy yeah because yeah. <laughs> otherwise everyone's just thinking oh Slater slaters boards <laughs> yeah
3: They're that's right. really gotta working. be stu kennedy's performance on that board that board has to be the most in-demand surfboard in the world yeah i would think so he looked am- it looked amazing
2: i think snappers rocks is a great wave for to show and all ar- a good all-around surfboard too you yeah have like a steep section a soft shoulder it then goes back into a barreling section so yeah
1: what did you guys think of uh, of b Durbidge as a commentator because he, he, he went in he was injured, which is actually why Stu Kennedy was in the event at all. And Bede was brought in as a sort of local local knowledge commentator for the the event.
3: This event is the most moving and shaking that uh, Bede's done in a while. John John's coach, commentator, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the reason Stu Kennedy got in the event. Those are like the three storylines of the event. Uh, uh, Go Bede. All around Bede.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> However, I didn't think he was I didn't think he brought very much. I thought as a, a local expert that you know, the guy that's been brought in to really talk technical details about the surfing and about the wave, like I, I don't know, I didn't hear anything come out of his mouth that couldn't have come out of any of the other comment that, that you know I wouldn't expect coming out for the commentary. It's not like when the, those events when they get uh, Kelly in the commentary box or or Freddie P in the commentary box and they, they really add something to, mm-hmm. they they bring something that none of the other commentators have. The bead was a bit vanilla. Mm. <laughs> I don't know, maybe that's unfair, I don't know, that's just sort of how I felt about it. And uh, we've now got another injury, oh, in fact,
3: two more injuries. A sad one too, Philippe Toledo was, for me, the in-form surfer of the event, I mean,
1: pretty yeah. much for everyone. He was looking great, wasn't he? And then uh, pulled his groin muscle in an air reverse, fair play to the guy, like, pulled his groin and then finished the heat. And then surfed pretty well for the rest of the heat. Surfed better than I'll ever surf. Yeah. Through the rest of the heat, hobbled himself up to the, the top of the beach and then gave like a real genuine thoughtful post-heat interview yeah he's a likable guy yeah philippe toledo
2: i like him i think he's a great guy yeah the injury he after he sort of did the air reverse you could see him when they were when he was paddling out like the commentators are like well he's not grabbing his leg he's not grabbing his foot well Well, what's he 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 grabbing he's he's injured something (laughs) like this isn't good (laughs) Yeah. yeah
3: yeah in in chest high questionable waves Philippe seems like he's just two notches better than everyone else yeah it was a bit it, it was it was a bit of a bummer for the rest of the event that he he went out in the semis because the final after him was pretty anticlimactic
2: so you know a lot of people sort of fear big waves because they think they're going to get more injured in bigger waves
0: mm-hmm.
2: kind of a interesting point to see Toledo go down and on a waist to shoulder high wave and get an injury yeah like injuries they 're very rare, and like they can just happen on a the smallest day it doesn 't necessarily have to be a big scary day to get an injury
1: why well, I think often uh, you know where certainly when I surf and it 's a little bigger i 'm pretty conservative yeah me you know too. i'm i 'm shoulder hopping i 'm um, not doing any kind of moves that are going to put me in any you know overly risky situation. I think when it drops down and it gets a little smaller mm-hmm. that 's when I start doing stupid things you know that 's when I start trying to get the board above the lip. That's when I start trying to do a layback and find the board coming, bouncing back at my head.
2: I try the sushi roll all the time. on
1: (laughs) (laughs) Way easier there. So it's, but yeah, so actually I, I I suspect it's probably a lot easier to injure yourself uh, in smaller days, just because you're not worrying about the consequences so much. Uh, Anyway, rolling into the, the women's contest, Tyler Wright beat Courtney Conlog in the final. Which interestingly makes two wins for Glenn Hall. Yeah, oh, it coaching year. Coaching, coaching Matt Wilkinson and uh, and Tyler Wright. I
2: I do have to admit I love both those girls, but the the final was kind of boring towards the end. Yeah. Um, they both started out really strong with you know mid score waves, but you could see the difference between them and I'm going to use Chris Amor and Sally Fitzgibbons as an example, in the final, because they were falling, they were making mistakes, they were going for waves that weren't lining up at the end. Yeah. You could see that the pressure was getting to them. Whereas, you remember Honolulu with uh, Chris Moore and Sally Fitzgibbons in the final, they weren't making any mistakes, yeah. and the pressure never got to them. So it was, it was kind of a, a boring end of the final.
1: Yeah, the contest was great, it was great to see uh, Steph Gilmore back and looking very sharp. Looking oh, very for sure.
2: smooth. Uh Tyler Wright put her out in the quarterfinals, but she's definitely her six time champ, like she's yeah. showing it for sure. Yeah. Um I thought the girls did really well as far as being very innovative. Um, I think one sort of highlight was Joanna DeFay's Grab roll Reverse. Oh yeah, it was, was pretty the cool. Finals. The club yeah. sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was awesome. And uh Tyler Wright's, you know, typical laybacks and I it is a mushier wave, but we also saw the girls going a lot more vertical rather than staying horizontal or I, doing horizontal maneuvers.
1: Yeah, I thought that the, the, the women surfing this this contest or this, this year, this last, I guess the last six months or so, really feels like they've they've stepped up a notch. Like they, it, there was a period where you had those top couple of, of, of girls, Steph, Carissa, Courtney, a couple of the others, who were surfing at at one level Mm -hmm. and kind of the rest of the field the next step down and every now and then there would be a little you know the waves would wouldn't quite play ball and, and it would throw something in but really it was those top kind of four or five girls were just walking away with every event yeah and what I thought was great to see was everybody really getting into it
2: yeah no for sure I mean Sage Erickson she you know she was one of the rookies she made it to the quarterfinals Tatiana Weston Webb, she made it to quarterfinals, hmm. so I, I definitely agree with you 110% on that. It's very yeah. cool.
1: Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, so on the fantasy, then, uh, as I say, the men's got thrown slightly into uh, disarray, but Kiwi Storm, congratulations. Yeah, You're, Kiwi, you walked <laughs> kiwi. away with a little bit, and then the women's uh, boogie border for life. <laughs> So I'm not sure how I feel about that name. But, <laughs> uh, a Heavy competitor, <laughs> boogie boarder for life. <laughs> but congratulations. And that's left uh, for those of you guys that are playing. And I'm, I'm stoked to see. I think we've got over 100 people playing now. Yeah, we and, have a pretty big clubhouse. So yeah, thank you so much, guys, for coming and joining the fun. Um, the men's table is really all over the place as we go into Bells. And uh, do set your teams up because Bells is starting tomorrow uh, as we record. Ooh, I did uh, discover... Dawn Patrol going on right now. Dawn Patrol going on right now because of course Australia is ahead. So uh, what I did discover through messing up this last contest, you can enter halfway through a contest. It's pretty cool. You just don't get points. Like if you build your team in round three, you don't get any points for round one and round two, Uh, but you can still play along. So that's very cool. But yeah, for those of you who are playing along, the, the men's setup is looking interesting. They haven't, I sort of thought that they would do the seeding based on last year. Yeah, I thought it would be year. a bit
3: of a rolling seeding.
1: Yeah, and in, instead they just seem to have gone straight for based on the results so it's sort of Stu Kennedy and Matt Wilkinson are all over the place. All up in tier A and Kelly's down in tier B and, and I'm so interested to see what Stu Kennedy rides
3: this time because that board fit snapper amazingly. Yeah. But on a really on a more drawn out wave like Bells I don't know. I've heard he's going to be still riding the
1: sci-fi, but mm-hmm. they've stretched it a little bit. Okay, they've, they've stretched the model to fit the waves, apparently. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. I mean, based on the Evo that I've been riding, which mm-hmm. th- that board has a ton of drive. It feels very solid under my feet. I would, even though the Evo is of all the boards that Tomo makes, that's kind of the groveler. Mm-hmm. I would feel very comfortable paddling into a solid wave on that board, yeah. so I, I can. I, I'm assuming that the the bigger wave boards must feel even better.
3: Yeah, I don't know. I love the look of a big board of Bells. Yes, I'm a sucker for the Tom Curran, '89 Bells.
1: Well, Black see, beauty. I'm really excited because again, with uh, with Philippe Toledo out, Mason Hope has got the wildcard slot. Yeah, what's Ooh. Mason going to go? And with? He is a man who likes a big board.
2: A good heat and a good interview. A good Ready. interview, <laughs> a very good interview
1: so in the last episode of the podcast we spoke to Dave Proden from the WSL and that kind of took up a little bit more time in the podcast than uh, we'd initially thought and it meant that there wasn't quite room I wanted to talk before we got into the contest season about you know watching contests and and how to view them because it is watching uh, competitive surfing can be really kind of difficult if you don't understand how it works it's kind of like watching a game of of football or or soccer <laughs> without knowing that the objective is to try and get the ball down to the other end of the pitch and put it in the goal right uh, and as soon as you understand that mm-hmm. you can kind of appreciate even without knowing all the tactics and all the rules you can start to appreciate what's going on
0: yeah
1: so what i wanted to do really quickly he says <laughs> not quite believing himself <laughs> but what i wanted to do reasonably quickly was uh, just go over how surfing is judged and and you know as it, it is a subjectively judged sport as as dave proden pointed out last week but you know that has been a solid attempt to make the judging as objective as possible to make the sport as fair as possible Right. Um, so I thought we'd just go over that. So when surfers go out, the surfing's done in heats, uh, timed heats, and the, the the surfer's goal is to get two good scores. Um, two the two best waves that they surf in the course of that heat are the ones that that they're judged on, and they're judged on a scale of of naught to ten, so ten being a, a perfectly ridden wave. And actually, it's you can't ever get a naught. As soon as the surfer paddles in and their hands come off the rails and they stand up, they have to receive at least a 0.01 <laughs> yeah
2: their hands have to sort of leave the rails don't they
1: yeah for it to then be scored but so there's five judges and they're all going to watch the wave and they're all going to give it a score out of 10 and then as is normal with sort of subjectively judged sports you throw away the highest and the lowest scores and you average out the three middle and that becomes the score
2: Harry, are these judges from all over the world?
1: Uh, yeah, they are pretty much. They, they, they're a secretive bunch. i ah. never really mm. seen them. Um, <laughs> you hear occasionally that the, the, the guy who's in charge of all the judging on the world tour is a guy called Richie Porter, mm-hmm. who uh, every now and then uh, gets interviewed. But the, the judging panel is quite big. I think there's about 20 guys because it's quite tough. I, I've judged a few contests back in the UK. Actually, by the time you've done two or three hours sitting there, like your brain's quite fried. Right. Uh, so I think they rotate quite quite regularly to, to give the guys a little bit of, of a rest but yeah they're from all over the world just to try and get rid of any nationalistic uh, scoring the, the contest criteria has changed a little bit over time it, it the, the first I think the, I'm right in saying the first contest that had a real prize purse. It was, uh, it was done on a stopwatch of how long you could spend on the nose of a longboard. Yeah. Each surfer.
2: Length of ride.
1: Well, length of nose length ride. Of nose ride. Right. They, they just painted a black line on the board. And for as long as you were in front of it, your stopwatch was running. And the guy that had the most time at the end of the heat won. But the, as, as surfing has moved on and what we class as good surfing has changed, the criteria has changed. And so the current one is made up of five bullet points that the judges are looking for. And the first one is commitment and degree of difficulty the second one is innovative and progressive maneuvers the third one is the combination of major maneuvers the fourth one is the variety of maneuvers and the last one is speed, power and flow um, and some of those are, are reasonably intuitive, the commitment and the degree of difficulty You know, the, the bigger, scarier and harder the maneuver and the wave are the more points you're going to get and Mm -hmm. that that kind of makes sense and innovative and progressive manoeuvres again that kind of is is fairly logical like if you're pushing the boundaries of what people can do on surfboards you're going to score well if you're surfing pretty safe and just doing doing the same thing over and over again then that's going to start costing you
2: right so they're not looking for cutback after cutback after cutback they're sort of looking for a cutback into a different type of maneuver
1: yeah and you know even within a cutback like they probably want to see you doing something in that cutback you remember you know when Dane Reynolds started doing that thing where he put both hands behind him in the water and did that sort of layback, both hands in the water and even though it's a cutback there's something new and innovative and different about it. And so that's where they're, they're picking up the points. The combination of major manoeuvres and the variety of manoeuvres actually was something that always kind of confused me until we spoke to Dave last week. He was saying the combination of major manoeuvres is where you're, you're really like, whatever the manoeuvre is, whether it's a cutback or an air or, uh, you know, it's a real money maker of a turn, it's something that's gonna. people are going to take still shots of, they're going to replay the video over and over again and they want to see a combination of those major manoeuvres, like multiple of those turns on the one wave and then the variety of manoeuvres is they don't want to see exactly as you said, yeah. cut back after cut back after cut back um, which is really tough, uh, a lot of the waves that uh, are on tour are specifically lefts or rights. And in general, there's a little bit more variation that you can do on your forehand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what's always there impressive, and it, it, point in case, Matt Wilkinson winning at snapper, he was on his backhand. And it's actually a little bit harder to get that variety of turns and maneuvers down on your backhand. So mm-hmm. Matt, if, you, if you watch, Matt Wilkinson was making a real conscious effort to, to mix up the, the turns that he was doing.
2: Kind of going back to commitment and degree of difficulty on your backhand it is a lot more difficult to do some of these maneuvers um, as far as you know balance goes and and commitment you on your backhand you can put your board into like you said a scarier part of the wave Mm -hmm. and and i think that kind of links back towards that commitment and degree of difficulty
1: yeah there's definitely a certain amount of crossover for sure and the interesting one there when as aerial surfing came in they had to have Uh, The judges all had to have a big sit down with the surfers, and the surfers pretty much had to say, "This is easy. This is kind of easy. This one's really hard. hard. Yeah. This one's really, you know, because actually the level of surfing um, in general, all the judges are pretty good surfers. Right. A lot of them are are former professional surfers, but the level of surfing that's going on in the World Tour now is getting so high and so technical that that actually there does have to be a, a liaison between the surfers and the judges so they can understand what is aerial
3: surfing is pretty much you know hitting the nail on the head there that you know a lot of aerials are way more difficult than others yes uh,
1: but don't necessarily look any harder yeah you
3: see the when philippe toledo takes off on a wave he never does that same air
1: twice yeah which obviously is why he's getting such high scores yeah yeah absolutely so the last one is speed power and flow and uh, again speed and power kind of makes sense like how fast you're going power you can really look to how much spray the surf is putting out there The the more power they're putting down the more that they're the um one of the the, the sort of mechanical definition actually of power works quite nicely it's mass by acceleration over time mm-hmm. and so if you're going very very quick and you lay all your weight into the turn and really just stop the board dead mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, that's going to be a powerful maneuver and what you're going to see from that Is a lot of spray being thrown up in the air, so that's that's something that you can look for if you're if you're watching the surfer, uh, you know, you're watching two two different surfers doing similar manoeuvres. You're looking for how fast are they moving, and then how much spray are they putting out as they do those turns. And then flow is kind of a weird one, and I actually asked uh, Dave Proden about this, and. There isn't really a strict definition of flow. <laughs> no, it's kind of
2: a I feel like there's a lot of terms in, in the surfing world that don't it's have a very that strict ambiguous word, yeah, definition. Flow.
1: Yeah. It, it it's it's a funny one. I've always thought, you know, in terms of just momentum, you know, retaining the, the board speed. The the WSL their scripted thing was uh, flow is defined as the ability to maintain speed and style from manoeuvre to maneuver and to utilize the entirety of the wave. Hmm. Which is kind of interesting because there's there's a lot of points there that you know there was an effort to remove length of ride right from from the judging criteria a while back. You used to be scored on how long your ride was, and so people would surf very safe in order not to fall off. But it it sounds like they're kind of still keeping that in. And style is a very very subjective yeah. uh, thing. So yeah, those bullet points can then be moved around. So the the commitment degree of difficulty, innovative and progressive manoeuvres, combination of major manoeuvres, variety of manoeuvres, speed, power, and flow, they can weight those five bullet points slightly differently. So when they're going to pipeline if it's perfect barreling pipe or chopu, they're really putting all of it on commitment degree of difficulty. They want to see the biggest, steepest, gnarliest takeoffs, Mm -hmm. the biggest barrels. Mm -hmm. When the waves are a little bit softer and a little bit more playful, Commitment degree of difficulty is going to be less of a thing as innovative and progressive manoeuvres and the variety of manoeuvres that the surfers are throwing out. So that change in the weighting takes place on a rolling basis because each heat should be judged independently as well. So you you know you'll hear things you know this person got an eight, this person got a seven, this person got a ten. Theoretically the scale is reset at the mm-hmm. start of every heat and which
2: i think it should that's yeah.
1: absolutely you know the the, the the waves will be different the tide's different the wind's different so it, even though that you know there's an inclination to to look at all the you know nine point rides and are they the same and certainly the judges do do that a little bit you know the, right. the nine should all fall within a similar ballpark but they're not judging one heat against another heat that all they're doing is using the scores to separate the two surfers within that heat
2: that happened like two years ago with mcfanning and julian wilson when he was like right on edge of winning his title all of social media compared julian wilson's heat which was totally at a different time of the day to his and they were like bashing mcfanning for not getting a high score that he got and uh yeah, I thought it was completely unfair, and I agree with you, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone needs to hear that.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, at the end of that, hopefully the, the, the riders, they can catch uh, quite a lot of waves. I think that there is a limit of 15 waves per heat, but that's, that's impressive if anyone's catching that many waves in a 30-minute a, a heat. At the end of the heat, it's their two best, the combined score from their two best waves. So a total score out of 20, that's going to decide who wins and the only other thing that then really goes into it is that there is a priority system within the world tour surfing whereby it's not the same as when all the rest of us go out to the beach and the person closest to the breaking part of the wave has the priority on the wave then they have a system whereby the last person that caught a wave goes to bottom priority and so there's always somebody who can theoretically has priority that overrides everybody else. And even if, if Asha's got priority and I paddle in, I catch a wave, I'm really enjoying myself. I can drop right in. Asher can drop right in. Uh, oh, it which sounds like my <laughs> Christmas present. <laughs> um, and so what then happens is as we both then paddle back out, the first person to get back out to the lineup would regain priority. So you'll occasionally see paddle battles as they try to both get back to the top. Mm-hmm. Uh, first but the nice thing about the priority is it turns the surfing into a little bit of a chess game that, that 90% of the time in the heat when nobody's up and riding then becomes a little bit more of a chess game well, hopefully that'll just make watching competitive surfing a little interesting those of you guys that have never tuned in and, and watched a contest I hope that maybe it'll make a little bit more sense now and yeah. uh, you can enjoy enjoy watching the sport because it's a fun one it's a fun sport to just have on in the background I enjoy it.
0: You're listening to the Surf Simply Podcast.
1: The superhero of surf. Cool. Uh, we don't have a superhero of surf this episode. March 8th was International Women's Day, and we thought that would be a really good opportunity to, rather than having one specific superhero of surf, that we might take a little time just to make note of A few of the, the women that have really played a big part in this sport, it has been traditionally a Very macho, male orientated sport through its documentation and through its, you know, the, the, the attitudes of people in the water. There's been a, a real male domination to it. So, the fact that the, the female surfers are doing as well as they are, and that you know, last year a couple of the WSL events had equal pay for the men's and women's, that uh, several surf contests now are trying to push for more equal pay for the, the men and women is actually a really big change compared to even a couple of years ago yeah did you guys see it's been doing the rounds on social media the little thing the bbc did on sylvana lima being unable to get sponsorship
2: oh yeah yeah i sort of saw that last season she was kind of struggling to well so get... she
1: she was struggling that the bbc did a series it's a six-part series on different female athletes and they they chose to to cover sylvana lima yeah for theirs and i i i i think i'm right in saying she's dropped off tour this year because she can't afford to do it yeah um, really she qualified and she can't i think i think i'm right in saying she qualified and and couldn't couldn't could oh that's
3: a tough hand to be dealt or,
1: or or chose midway through last season to just sort of stop stop competing so much because she didn't have anyone paying her way and the the winnings on the world tour if you're not you know winning the contest i think the the prize money gets pretty low pretty quick right so yeah that, that's i'll put a link to that in the show notes it was, it was quite a cool piece and actually there's the, there were then the five other pieces from different female athletes from different sports oh, but again who'd all you know had to kind of fight their way through a little bit so some of these ladies we are going to come back and do a, a full feature on further down the line but we thought just in, in honor of international women's day which has passed a little bit yeah. but uh we thought we would
2: we can pretend it's international women's month <laughs> <laughs> go girls. um i saw a link on the inertia the inertia posted the 10 most pivotal women in surfing history and i just i didn't want to go over all 10 of them um i wanted you know we wanted to sort of share with you guys just a few of superhero women that are in our history and uh Asher, do you want to go over your first woman crush? <laughs> I oh, guess. first one was
3: uh, Queen of Makaha, Rel Sun.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, incredible, like the one of the first really, really stylish women surfers. I, was, I want to say she was in what the late 60s and 70s. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she she was amazing. She was uh yeah uh, rode longboards mid-lengths. Uh, I can still watch her footage and and get inspired to go out and catch a couple waves. Just yeah. really, really beautiful, fluid style. Yeah.
1: And and charged as well, didn't she? I mean, she oh, used to yeah. surf Makaha when it was big. She was a, a lifeguard that would swim out and, yep. and rescue people in big surf. I want
3: to yeah. say that she was the first woman or woman uh, lifeguard, in yeah. why? Yeah.
2: yeah, that's what it says. She well,
3: surf pretty big Sunset Beach, so yeah.
2: Have you guys read that book that came out in two thousand and ten? Have you heard about it? Called Queen of Makaha, Stories of Real Sun.
3: I've not, but I bet it'd be pretty interesting. Yeah. She, had, she had a pretty long battle with breast cancer.
2: Yeah, and I'm definitely interested in, in picking that up for sure. Another famous female surfer was Sarah Gernhardt. And she was one of the first women to surf mavericks and technically to stand up at Mavericks in 1999. There was a lady who did it before. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember the name right now, but she just wrote it on her belly. She bodyboarded. I feel it like down. that's
1: almost more impressive. <laughs> <I know. laughs> that's yeah, awesome. bodyboarding mavericks. <laughs> like, I feel if you're lying down like on a board big enough to paddle into mavericks. Yeah, like I don't know if I'd feel like I had enough control lying and down. I, I,
2: I agree. But yeah, she was actually the first woman to stand up at Mavericks. Very cool. We have Margot Oberg, Mm -hmm. and she was considered to be the first professional female surfer. Yeah. And she actually used to surf against the guys. The guys were, with her style, with Margot's style, were influenced because she did have, you know, as you were saying in contest um style was something. And
1: yeah, so she she was riding back in the longboard era when it there there was a lot of stylistic
2: exactly uh, yeah
1: elements built into the judging. And she mm-hmm. and
2: Margot sort of brought that grace, I guess is a good term to use um to the contest, which helped her become a professional woman surfer. A lot of firsts. Another first female surfer and I would say one of the most important ones would be Hawaiian's princess Kaiolani. Mm-hmm. Um, and Harry, I think you would like her because her first surfboard was an Alaya surfboard, seven foot wooden Alaya. <laughs> I, think,
1: I think it did help that that was the only type of
2: surfboard <laughs> around. This,
1: this is going back to uh,
2: 1880s. early... 1880s. Yeah, 1880s.
1: Yeah.
3: Sitting next to your Alaya right now.
2: Yeah. That thought you'd have a little, a little inspiration in that, but that was pretty cool. And then there, are, you know, there's some modern day girls that are just as famous, you know, maybe... Chris Moore, she's a sort of modern day.
3: Oh, she's the queen.
2: Hero, of course. But all you know, all these other girls, they started it. They started that inspiration for for female surfers today. So
1: yeah, I feel like what's really nice to see now is, is like I said at the start, we do seem to be coming into a, a period. You know, when I paddle out here or at home or you know when I've been to the states, I see significantly more women out in the water than I did. When I was growing up, for
2: sure, mm-hmm.
1: um, and I, I think it makes it a much better place. I, I the things that really turn me off about surfing mm-hmm. is all the kind of macho bullshit that goes along sometimes. Yeah, and I, I just think having a bit more of an integrated lineup is a, a good thing. It's a good thing.
2: We have this um, break north of Guiones. It's called Playa Negra, and it's a reef break, and it's known for its localism. Mm-hmm. And uh, my favorite thing is to paddle right on up, right into the middle, and give them all a really big smile. <laughs> and you literally, like, I feel like the the tension sort of go away a little bit. Like, it, it yeah. does. Like, it is intimidating being the only girl there, but, you know, it, it's, it's also rewarding when all of those big macho guys look at you, and they say, go. Like, have that wave. Yeah, like, they're sharing, you know, that starts to bring that equal equalism to the lineup. It's cool.
3: Also, it doesn't hurt that you can probably out-surf a, a good
1: majority of them. <laughs> Final thing here. We've got our what-to-watch section. Anything caught you guys' eye? That was a pretty slow week in what-to-watches. Um, I, I don't know if you guys saw the, the waves on Mars video. It's actually not much of a, a surf video as such, but it's... Um, bunch of guys getting on a boat and sailing down through baja oh, cool. and doing a little bit of surfing along the way but it, it kind of looks like they had like it looks like the sort of trip that i would like to do one day yeah, yeah to ta- take a boat a... and just go cruise and you yeah, know chuck a load of boards strap them to the deck yeah um yeah. yeah it's it's fun it's it's enjoyable to just watch i think
2: um, that would be the better way to explore baja the roads are very bumpy in baja <laughs> yeah. i imagine
1: the sea can get pretty bumpy
3: that's too. true yeah i didn't think of that one <laughs>
2: um
1: the wave of the winter contest that o'neill puts on surfline o'neill and surfline yeah the wave of the winter contest that's closed so they the, the best 10 are all up on surfline i'll post a i can't embed the surfline videos into the show notes but i will put a link to the video playlist where you can see i think it's the, the best 10 waves of the winter man there are some smokers i'm so happy i'm not a judge
3: <laughs> every one of those waves. I, I don't even know how I would judge them. I mean, yeah. every wave on there is just like a perfectly ridden, amazing wave. Yeah. Have
2: you guys seen Carlos Munoz's entry in that?
0: Yeah. Oh, it
3: doesn't even look like backdoor. It looks like super-sized Kira.
2: Go yeah. Costa Rica. Like a, <laughs>
3: three huge sections. Uh, did you see Mason Ho's clip? Yeah. So it was on the 5'8 the Patterson fireball fish. That board has got some serious history behind it. Yeah, the Fireball Fish, for listeners who don't know that, it was made really popular by Tom Curran in uh, surfing it in Bawa. I think it was one of the Searching for Tom Curran movies. Yeah. And it pretty much started the fish revolution. And yeah. then that board that he surfed, he gave it to Tomo, Daniel Thompson's dad, and who in turn let his son ride it. And that's what inspired Daniel Thompson to pursue alternate shapes. So... As a little side piece of history, that's a pretty incredible resume for a surfboard. It is,
1: isn't it? it, it very, very cool. And y- you look at that short twin fin that Tom Curran was riding. Mm-hmm. Like that really pushed Matt Biolas, which who is Mason Ho's shaper. Yeah. Uh, pushed him down the route that led to the five-five nineteen a quarter video with Corey Lopez riding a little fish on the North Shore of Hawaii. Yeah, it's almost a
3: domino effect, huh? Yeah.
1: Um, the
3: Pavonis yeah. one's pretty
1: cool. Uh, yeah, there was a, a good little edit came out uh, of Yago Dora surfing uh, down in Costa Rica in Pavones, Uh which is a wave. I haven't surfed it for a couple of years now, but I really want to try and get back some point this year. Cause yeah, it's been a
3: couple of years since I've been down there as well. Oh,
1: man, it's such, such a
3: fun wave. <laughs> it's so much fun. Just trying to do a team trip down there.
2: It's on my bucket list for sure.
3: As a side note, uh, Yago Dora is the son of Adriano's coach. Oh, really? Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah. yeah, Iago's dad coaches Adriano. Uh,
1: again, not really much surfing in it, but uh, Surfing Magazine seem to have stolen the round table idea that Surfline have been running for a few years. And they, they've done a round table of talking about the state of American surfing with, it's not all of, but it's definitely most of the established guys on the world tour.
3: Yeah, I think it was most of last year's world tour. Yeah, I think a couple have fallen off. Like CJ obviously retired.
1: CJ and Brett Simpson,
3: Brett
0: Simpson are both not cut. on the tour
1: and they don't have the the new batch. Mm-hmm. But they've got, it was Nat Young and Kolohe and Kelly. You got Papa Kelly in there. Well, I yeah, I thought it was interesting because Kelly's quite, like, he does make sort of thoughtful statements. And I felt like a lot of the other guys weren't, yeah, didn't I, feel like they brought very much to the table. It's it's an interesting sort of subject to talk about they're talking about the you know why maybe the american surfers are not doing as well as as the australians at yeah the and
3: why they're picking the free surf route over uh yeah over competitive surfing
1: but i i i didn't feel like the other guys brought very much to the table <laughs> yeah it was kind of the kelly show and then some like good quips by cj the person i felt sorry for was nat young sounded like he was trying to make some intelligent comments
3: Eddie kept being just cut everyone
1: out. just talked over him every time nat young opened his mouth Everyone talked over him. Oh. It seemed like, oh. aw. <laughs> Poor little guy who was getting Grom abuse left, right, and center. He was. Of course, final thing on the What to Watch, Bells. Yay! Watch Bells. <laughs> Watch Bells. I'll um, be watching. Always a fun, well, not always a fun contest, but when Bells Bowl is working. Beautiful. Or when they move down to Winky Pop. Super, super fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get
2: so inspired watching Bells. Like, all I want to do is on-rail turns.
1: All right, ladies and gents, that's all for this week. I hope you've enjoyed the show. I hope... You manage to get some waves wherever you are in the world and I hope that you'll join us next time. But uh from myself and the guys, bye-bye.
0: Bye. Bye guys. That was the Surf Simply Podcast from the Surf Simply Coaching Resort in Costa Rica. For more about Surf Simply's video coaching courses for experienced surfers and technical coaching for entry-level surfers, go to surfsimply.com.